Hi, and welcome to the West Visaya Audio Podcast. These messages are designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a second to hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to send us a message when you have questions. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation on the life of Jesus. I'm excited we're able to dig into the study again of the book of Matthew. Tonight we are in Matthew chapter 14, so if you want to open up your Bibles, we'll get started there in just a second. But by way of introduction again, my name is Cliff Sabro, preacher at the West Society Church of Christ, along with Nick Westberg, our associate minister, and Curtis Pittman, who is one of our deacons who coordinates our youth group, which, although we're in quarantine right now, we're doing more with the youth. I know yeah. we were at your house um, on Sunday night having Bible study and enjoying some time of fellowship. So although we're still distant in a lot of ways, we're back to normal in some regards. We had people here on Sunday. It was a little bit warm at our 8 a.m. service, especially, you know, uh, outside with masks on and everything. It seemed kind of stuffy, but we made it through. And we also had our 1045 um, a.m. service. But let me remind everybody before we get into the text too, although we're studying this right now on Sunday night, you're more than welcome to gather with us on Wednesday at 7 o'clock for our Zoom class where we, as a group, talk about what we're talking about right now. But for the last several months, we've been in the book of Matthew and trying to understand the overall theme of the book, which is proving that Jesus is the Messiah. We are in the middle of Jesus' ministry and we just finished up the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But Nick or Curtis, any of you guys want to set the stage for where we are right now? Maybe some things we need to remember as we get into verse 22? I think it's kind of neat that we're at the halfway point yeah. uh, with Matthew. It's kind of downhill from here, if you will. Yeah. Um, but to, to answer the question you actually asked, uh, looking back, at, we're in Matthew chapter 14, uh, and we just saw this contrast between Jesus and Herod. Um, and, and what we really need to, I think, look at from Herod's standpoint, or what Matthew's including about Herod, is how we react when we're approached with sin. Very good question. How do we react when we are confronted in our sin? That's a good question to ask. Uh, keep going. No, and then it's just the, the way that Herod leads is contrasted with the way that Jesus leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, because following the death of John the Baptist, Jesus uh, was obviously hurt. Mm-hmm. He emotionally wanted to go off to a secluded place, but he took care of the crowds. And so he saw and had compassion on the crowds, and he served them as opposed to being served as Herod was. I love that. So he sacrificed even in a, in a time of, of crisis in his own life. You know, um, our wives today were engaged in a Bible study, and I got to see some of the notes that Zinni was going over before the study a little bit, and we were discussing what they were talking about. And one of the questions they had was something to do with, in times of fear and loneliness, how does that cause us to view our circumstances? Mm -hmm. And here you have a situation where Jesus is in a time of distress. His good friend, his relative John, has died. And instead of viewing that as an excuse to back away from what really matters, he still buckles down and serves other people, and I think that's awesome. Nick, what else do we need to remind ourselves of before we get into verse 22? Well, that underlying question, um, why are the religious leaders rejecting Jesus? What's... Uh, as a Jew reading this in the first reading this from a first century perspective, my uh, thoughts would be, um, how come they're rejecting Jesus? If he's supposed to be this great Messiah, this one who's supposed to free us out of Roman captivity, why are these religious leaders rejecting? Him? And ultimately, we find out that they had bad hearts, so they were producing bad fruit. Um, which is why we reject which is him why, today. Which is why we reject him today. And Jesus really proves to us why, he, how, why, and how he is that leader within the last chat, within the last half of the chapter. So he's 
done that all along, but this really shows us in contrast to the uh, the religious leaders of that day as well as. Uh, yeah, so we have a, we have a contrast, like as you mentioned, between yeah. Jesus and Herod, and we have a contrast of the true disciples and the Pharisees, and right. uh, definitely a lot of contrast, yeah. and it forces us to beg the question of which one would we be in a lot of these yeah. situations. Well, we're going to pick up in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, and this is a familiar scene. I mean, of, of the occasions in Jesus' life where he interacted with his disciples, this is one of the big ones. If you were to right. survey... Someone who just has kind of a surface understanding of Jesus. Tell me something Jesus did. They go, well, he walked on water. They'd probably bring up <laughs> yeah. maybe this story right here. So let's look at this and break it down, though, and look at it on a deeper level than just, oh, here's a, a cute story. The Bible's made for us to apply. It's made for us to transform our lives with. And it's not just a, a Sunday school story, as a lot of times we kind of maybe make the Bible out to be. So verse 22. Immediately, and, and I don't think it's... I, he uses this word here. It's not as much as he uses it in the book of Mark, but you do find it in this section a few times. Mm-hmm. He uses this word immediately. I don't know if there's an emphasis Matthew is making on something specifically, but he just fed the 5,000, and then now we move on to something else. I think immediately maybe is more of a transitionary kind of term yeah, here a little bit. I think it's connecting the two. Okay. Um, because we see... Um, we're going to see some timing. So here in verse 22, he talks about he dismissed the crowds. Mm-hmm. And, and at the beginning of the feeding of 5,000, there were great crowds. And then verse 19, he orders the crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're also going to see, um, as we continue on this story, it's going to talk about the fourth watch of the night. Yeah. And so it, it shows the timing where Jesus went down and fed all the crowds at the at, at evening time, at okay. the end of the day. And so I think it's just a connecting... Showing the, us the time frame when it all took yeah. place. While yeah. some of our stories in Matthew, um, we take some big time leaps. I think this mm-hmm. one is pretty tight. It's kind of, you know, here we have a list of what's going on in yeah. chronological order. Right. You know, it also stood out to me, maybe this is what you're about to bring up, but right in verse 13, he wanted to go off to a secluded place to pray, mm-hmm. but he couldn't because he yeah. felt compassion yeah. for the crowds. And right. now again... He's going off to a secluded place. He's getting back to what he planned on doing. Sometimes our plans get interrupted, and we have to remind ourselves of that. I know at least I do. I'm a big planner. I, I like to have everything planned out. We were joking about this on Sunday. You know, when we plan the maximum efficient way of handling a situation, and there's a curveball in there, it throws everything off, sometimes our plans go awry. But, but look at what Jesus allowed his plans to be derailed for. Yeah, people. Uh, exactly. He he had a, a, a truly servant attitude. It wasn't a me first mentality. He saw the crowd, saw the crowds in need, had compassion on them, and said, "You know what? My my self care, if you will, my time of devotion can, can be temporarily paused." He didn't cancel it altogether. No. It's just a temporary pause because he circles back to it. There was an immediate need, and he met that need. Yeah. So immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. So the disciples get in a boat, and they start sailing across Galilee. He sends the crowds to another way, and he goes up onto a mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So he finds a secluded place to pray, a place to reconnect with his heavenly Father, and there he's spending time in this devotional moment. And I don't want to gloss over that either, because I think we need to... At least I could do a better job of this right here. Yeah, I study a lot for class prep. I plan church events, work on lessons, pray with other people during their needs. But I could always do better when it comes to my own personal relationship with God. 
Jesus, our Lord, took time to go away to himself and, and pray. It was deliberate. He deliberate. didn't just he didn't just pray when it was convenient for him. He didn't just pray in the shower and the drive on the on his way to work. I mean, he didn't drive to work, but he went out of his way to go to a certain place so that he could pray, devote yeah. himself to prayer. And this isn't the only occasion we have of this, too. Right. right. This is where he draws his strength. From. There you go. Yeah. You know, this is he goes up to the mountain to draw strength. He's just done a, a, an incredible miracle. However, it was done. He's fed five thousand men, as it tells mm-hmm. us. And this is what he chooses to do. Not, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm awesome. But he goes away. He goes away because he knows he has to recharge so that he can be ready for the next thing that's about to take place. Yeah. Um, and he, like you said, this is his recharge. It's his time to kind of rejuvenate here a little bit. And I think we need more of that. Jesus has the assumption that we're going to do this. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you go into your inner room to pray, you pray. yeah, he just right. assumes you're going to be going into a place and having a scheduled place or a time and a location. Sure. Um, I know in my own life, there's been many occasions where, not when it's this hot outside, but I'll maybe go out in the backyard at night. We had a trampoline until last week. And <laughs> I'll lay out on the trampoline and look up at the stars and, and talk to God. Yeah. And I think there's something there about seeing God's creation, maybe the outdoors and all of that, being alone and praying. And he did that here, and I think it's just such a great example for us. Everything in Jesus' life is a good example for us, and here you have an example of personal I mean, prayer. Who, who doesn't need to pray more? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, all of us, you know, especially the world we live in, there was distractions in their world too, but in our world there's even more distractions than than then we even know, you know, yeah. there's television, there's, you know, YouTube, there's all sorts of different social media sites and things that allow us to get distracted and focused on something else, mm-hmm. which is what we're going to come to in the next session here, that draw us away from where we really need to be. So I think Jesus in and of, in and of itself is showing us an example. Well, you know, w- once he did something good, he did a work of God, he went to pray. What he prayed about, we don't know, but I presume... This is where, you know, Jesus understood that, you know, this is, Jesus is human. This yeah. shows his humanity, too, yeah. you know, that he doesn't, that he isn't just this, you know, overflowing with power, but he has to rely on the Father to give him that strength. And, and I don't want to overdo or, no, no, or looking yeah. at this, but I, I'm with you on it because I, I do the same thing. I find myself, like, on a Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. after I've, taught and preached and, and engaged with all the people, that's when I want to go for a run yeah. or even a walk or something. I'll just, I'll disconnect and go. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I head out here out into these orchards out this way and walk out toward the highway here. And, and that's when I disconnect and reconnect maybe, yeah. spiritually think about things, meditate on the day, pray, you know, and, and it's, I, I can see what Jesus is doing here. He just yeah. interacted with at least 5,000 men, not counting women and children and all that. I'd want to unwind too, yeah. and unwinding in prayer is a time to yeah. re-strengthen yourself. So right. I don't know. I just see a personal connection there, sure. as one who deals with people like that. I, sure. I could see wanting to do that. Well, let's keep going. So he sent the crowds away. He goes away up alone to pray on the mountain. So the boat is in the water, and mm-hmm. Jesus is on the hilltop or on the land. The crowd is away. Verse twenty-four that we find out, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now I know we hear, well, they're on a lake, a sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee historically could have a lot of storms. 
It's a very big lake. We're not just talking about, you know, Lake Kawea. It's I don't know More the like exact dimensions. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> and they get winds that come down, I believe, through like the Jordan Valley that way. Right. And it can be, especially when you had the boats they had back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, it can be kind of sketchy. So the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Walking on the sea. Now, Curtis, you mentioned a time for so fourth watch. What would that be? Uh, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the watches were broken up into three hours. Okay. Um, and so the night, I believe, started at 6 p.m. and ended at 6 a.m. And so you have a 12-hour period broken up into four. That's three hours each. So this is early hours in the morning before morning. the sun comes up. Yeah. And, and so if this is chronological, Jesus the, was alone from evening time till now. So he, I mean... He could have napped, but it's likely to assume, reasonably likely to assume, that he stayed up all night in prayer. Oh, wow, yeah. I never thought about that, but yes. So he comes to them, and he's walking on the sea. So here's that miracle. He's walking atop the surface of the water. You can't do that. I've seen it on Mythbusters. The only way they were able to do it was when they added a bunch of, like, cornstarch, I thought, to the water, and then they did it. But that's not what's in the Sea of Galilee, okay? So he doesn't, you can't do this. I remember being a kid, we would try to see how many steps across a pool we could do running as fast as we can. You only got one. You can never do any more than that. So Jesus is walking along the sea, and the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified. Because first off, it's dark outside. Yeah. It's late. It's early morning. I mean, it's spooky already. And they see a figure walking toward them on the water. And they cried out in fear, it is a ghost. So, Nick, are ghosts real? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's pause on that for okay. a minute. Because, because this phrase, he does I know, that I one. That I'm, I'm not, no, nope, uh-oh. We're talking, no, nope, okay. So, uh, to... Formally dodge that. Okay. Pay attention to this little phrase. Is uh, there an informal when, dodging? I don't know. Okay. Uh, when when the disciples saw, there's other phrases in used right with this word edon, which mm-hmm. is the Greek word. Um, back in chapter 12 and verse 2, when the Pharisees saw, back in chapter 9, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw, when the disciples saw something, this indicates a a always almost always indicates a response okay. from people. So, so it's not just a casual seeing, what, glance, yeah, it is a, this a is, reaction. They, this is they see something that causes them to act. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously their response here, they see Jesus walking on the scene. Yeah. What would you do if you saw somebody walking on water? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and, not 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 only that, but we're not talking about, you know, walking across a glass flat lake either. We're yeah. talking about large waves probably. So as, they're already as, nervous. Yes. They're already afraid. It's dark outside and you got superstitions of the sea and all sorts of things like yeah. that. And now you see a figure coming towards you in the dark. Yeah, I'd scream too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just like any human would, um, you know, and then it says they were terrified. Now, this word's used four times here. Okay. To talk about this with this idea of phobos, this fear. Yeah. Um, Curtis might have a little more in depth on what that is, but there's a contrast here between fear and trust, which we're going to get to uh, probably in just uh, a minute. And uh, I just think it's interesting how in their terror, yeah, they say it's a ghost. What's everybody else been saying about Jesus? Well, he's John the Baptist. Well, he's Beelzebub. Well, he's this, he's that. And here they see this miraculous thing and they go, oh, it's a ghost. I don't know if they, I don't think they understood it was him at first. No, I don't think they did either. And, Maybe that wouldn't be your assumption, too, that Jesus is walking toward me. 
Well, you know, you would think that, I don't know. I mean, as a human being, when we're afraid, we say and do some dumb things. My wife and I like to, when someone goes downstairs to get something late at night, like to hide at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> so when they walk around the corner, we startle each other. Yeah. We have a weird relationship. And <laughs> we make the goofiest and weirdest noises and reactions when someone scares you right. at nighttime, right? right. It's like, ah, what do you think? No one's right. going to kill you. I know no one's in my house attacking me. I know it's not a ghost, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's spooky. So yeah. they said it's a ghost. I don't think it's a theological it's, statement about No, 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 but, no. That's not what I was saying. I was just I saying it's, it's, a, it's a case of mistaken, oh, identity, mistaken identity like like most Jews have been doing in this book. Okay, know? so they're, they don't get they, who he is. They've yeah, seen either. Jesus do miracles before, yeah. right? So why not this reaction at something else? Why not this reaction, you know, when he healed people? Why not this reaction when he, um, you know, did other things? Here we have a, a response. So why this response? Why this? Why the? Why say that thing? Why? Why think that in particular? I just think they didn't know it was Jesus, and that was the first thing they came up with. Could be. Um, Could be. So they said it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Now I jokingly mentioned, does this mean there's ghosts? I don't know anything about ghosts. We have spirits in the Bible mentioned. We have some <laughs> raising from the dead in oh, after Jesus' crucifixion. I don't think this is any kind of theological point that we can make here beyond they were afraid and they said something yeah, crazy. Yeah, I mean, what the only about the only example of a ghost was what Saul with uh, Samuel. Yeah, um, and you had that one with the witch of Endor yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. but um, you do have spirits being um, visible after his crucifixion. But again, I don't think this, don't ever base any theology on the scared reaction of people late at night, early morning. You know what I mean? So that was just a way to break the ice on our conversation today, asking you about ghosts. So they were freaked out about what they saw. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. So don't freak out. Calm down. It's me. So I'm going to jump in here a little bit. I think that Again, I'm not as well learned as, as you gentlemen are, but the English translation does a major disservice to this verse right here. Okay. Uh, when it says, take heart, it is I, that Greek word is ego uh, me, which mm-hmm. is I, I am. am. Mm-hmm. And so if it, and especially in John's gospel, there's emphasis on I am. And when you hear, take heart, I am, what would you think of? Go back to the burning bush, mm-hmm. right? What does God, how does God describe himself? Describes himself as I am. And right. here Jesus is saying that, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. And I think that's something that we miss uh, in just looking at the English language here, that the, the Matthew's uh, readers would, would catch on and grasp that Jesus is essentially saying that, take courage, God is here, there's no reason to be afraid. He, he's essentially, in my opinion, Calling himself God, identifying as God. Here. Yeah, he could be. I, I never thought of that before in this instance. I know for sure in John, you know, that phrase I am is used, you know, throughout it to prove Jesus' Messiahship. <laughs> so Jesus then would be saying, take courage. I am he is the one, you know, I'm the one. Yeah. Do not be afraid. So now we have these other terms here. So have courage. Don't be afraid. And I think these two phrases now set the stage for the rest of the section. In times of fear... When we're stressed out, when we're worried, trust in Jesus, take courage, don't be afraid. Now, Peter makes this statement here, and I, I'll open it up to you guys see if you have an opinion on this, but he says, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. Now, do you think he's testing the situation, or does he just want to experience how amazing Jesus is right here? I think both. I think that he is truly seeing if it is Jesus, and it, it, I think it's no coincidence that he calls Jesus Lord in this mm-hmm. instance as well. And he's asking to be commanded. So one is, it, are you truly Jesus? Are you truly my Lord? And then if you are, command me to do this, which shows a tremendous amount of faith. Tremendous amount of faith that Jesus could empower him to come yeah. out there in some way. Well, and the fact that Peter, Peter trusts him, yeah. you know, already. He says, look, look, I know what my Lord can do. So if you're my Lord, command me to do this. And he walks out on the water. And it reminds me of, you know, we sung the song at the Youth Devo last night, or on Sunday night, I believe it was the Ocean Song, wasn't it? It quotes this section right here a little bit. He called me out upon the water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here you have Peter asking, Lord, call me out upon the water. Give me this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water and came toward Jesus. So not only is Jesus able to do this supernatural thing, He's able to empower Peter in some way or create some kind of defy the laws of physics and allow Peter to walk on this on the water. Peter experiences this ability, and you can imagine this connection. He's walking toward Jesus across the water, and then something happens. He wavers for a second in verse 30. It says, but seeing the wind, he became frightened. So there's our frightening idea again. So they were afraid before. Jesus told them, don't be afraid. He seized the wind and became frightened, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. So he took his eyes off Jesus for a moment. He got distracted by the storms around him and the wind, and he started to sink. But I love what he does. See, we always get mad at Peter's yeah. faith right here. We always go, oh, Peter took his eyes off Jesus. Peter's a bad guy. He's flaky. He's the only one that got out on the water. No one else did. Yeah, no, and that's what, I mean, not only is the his, his response to Jesus or the ghost um, show a lot of faith that, Lord, command me, but then to step out yeah. of the boat when the winds and the waves are raging because th- that is still happening here. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I mean, that, that's a tremendous amount of faith that Jesus just jumps out of the boat. And has his eyes on I mean, Jesus. Peter, Peter jumps out. Yeah, yeah, yes. sorry. It has his eyes on Jesus, focused on Jesus, but it's not until he sees the wind, he takes his eyes off Jesus, yeah. that he then becomes fearful. So um, initially, I mean, we have a huge statement of faith by Peter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is awesome. He has enough faith. The rest of the disciples stayed in the boat. I'd be saying, Jesus, come on, get in. Peter says, I'm going to go out to you. Yeah. That's so many illustrations for a sermon right there, by the way. I'm just like, that's awesome right there. Yeah, and that's what I mean. If, if you're going to make a bold move, yeah. make sure it's towards Jesus. Ooh, yeah, if you're going to make a bold move, make sure it's toward right. Jesus. He gets out as willing to walk across the water to get to his world. I'm not willing to interrupt my schedule. I'm not willing to be uncomfortable for a little bit. Peter was willing to walk across water for right. Jesus. That's pretty amazing. He, this is all kind of a chain reaction, though, too, you know, because it's, he sees the wind. You know, now, again, we've got to kind of look at the scene we're in because we would be the same way, right? If this all happens, we see nature taking its course upon the world, Mm -hmm. which could potentially have a threat upon our life. We're going to do the same thing that Peter does. Peter sees the wind, and he was afraid. He feared. He feared, right? And began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Yeah. I mean, I just, 
I I think of this as you know, it's like, yeah, I couldn't have done any better than Peter did, you oh. know. I couldn't do what Peter did. I, I probably I wouldn't have got it. I don't though. think I, I couldn't have done it. And just... and when he's sinking, he doesn't say, "Quick, throw me a life preserver." <laughs> he says, "Lord, save me." Yeah. Right. And I think that says a lot too. So right. even when he did take his eyes off Jesus for a moment and started the sink, he knew the source of salvation was still mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we get off track and we cling to other things. He clinged to Jesus. Yeah. Well, and, and, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. go ahead. Well, I was I was going to run on that tangent a little bit because we, we see him call in Lord, verse 28, and then again in verse 30, Lord, Lord, save me. Right. And, and if we remember what Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus means, it means the Lord is right. salvation. And so he's calling out, Lord, save me. And then the next word is Jesus. The next yeah. word is the Lord is salvation. I think it's no coincidence that that he is calling on the Lord and, and we need to remember that the Lord is salvation. Jesus. Right. So, uh, to summarize up what you said then, so Peter says, Lord, save me. And then Matthew says immediately, salvation came, yeah. right? In a way, with yeah, the name you, Jesus. You yeah. could have just said, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Because mm-hmm. the word, the name Jesus, you know, is the Lord of salvation. So he says, the Lord save, or save me, Lord. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. And I don't know, in my mind, I picture him rising up out of the water or something like that. You know what I mean? He starts slowly going down. The Jesus gets there and he goes, yeah, right back, back up. up. Right? And he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Like, why'd you doubt? Why'd you take your eyes off me for a second? Why'd you waver for one moment? Don't doubt. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. So now the storm dies down. Yeah. So yeah. the wind stopped when they get into the boat. And those who were in the boat worshiped him so now they chime in they could have gone out of the water but they worshiped him saying you are certainly god's son so those people in the boat realized who he was they acknowledged him as the son of god and when you realize who jesus is the proper response is to worship him yeah it's interesting the contrast that matthew has because this isn't the first time we've seen jesus calm a storm Mm -hmm. if you go back to matthew chapter 8 uh, and it's very similar. And even the, the Jesus asked the same question in that, that instance. Yeah. He asked, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to look at the reaction of the disciples, the difference here. In Matthew chapter 8, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that yeah. even the winds and the seas obey him? Mm-hmm. Here, after the winds ceased, verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of mm-hmm. God. Marvel versus worship. Well, no, it, it went from you're yeah. an amazing man to you are the son, son of God, of God right. which that, that transition of being around Jesus took them to that point. Yeah, so they, there was a, we see a maturation mm-hmm. process. Uh, throughout the, the, the parables, what was a question that Jesus asked the disciples? Do you understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? The same thing with they have such little faith here, but Jesus gave them so much to have a great amount of faith. But here you see that while they still waver at times, they still acknowledge, they get the fact get that Jesus is the Son of God. And now they, the evidence is there and they respond appropriately. Yeah. So the, the, the question that I, I would ask is that do we recognize Jesus, one, when he's walking across the water, right. but do we recognize Jesus as Jesus who truly is, mm-hmm. which is the Son of God? Yeah. What do we rec- do? Oh, What's do- his power? Yeah, you know, yeah. What power does he have to, you know, yeah, we're not all. We're not going to get out of this life alive. It's just a fact. So, what do we do? How, if we're not going to get out of here alive, who do we cling to? What What are we? 
who do we look for? We better cling to the one that'll help mm -hmm. us when we're drowning. That's right. And um, That's yeah, right. so I mean, either we willing to stick, cling, follow him when he's walking on the water, or at least cry out to him when we're sinking. Either way, we need to acknowledge him as Lord. So what are some lessons from this miracle that we can take or from this situation here and apply to us? I mean, number one, we need to trust in Jesus. Number two, acknowledge him as the Son of God. What else stands out to you guys? Fear plays a big factor in how we trust. Yeah, it can, either, it can yeah. affect our trust negatively. Yeah. I mean, it can, you know, what, is, what does fear cause us to do when faith is required? You know, here, you know, Peter's trust in Jesus is required. Mm -hmm. And his, he let the distractions keep him from walk, continuing to walk toward Jesus. It's, it's evidently a reminder of how, you know, some of us start out about how we all start out you know we're we we're baptized we get up we're on fire we're focused and then we get distracted yeah we get and distracted. we start to sink and before we know it we're like where did this all go you know and so i i just i mean i'm not reading into it but i think that that's a valuable lesson too that we have to understand that if we keep our eyes fixed on jesus we will know the way to go yeah you know and a lesson to me here is I, again, I've always seen people bash Peter in this. Be like Peter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He got out of the like boat. Peter. Yeah, he got out of the boat. Yeah. And in times of struggle, when he got off track, he still cried out to Jesus. Yeah. And, that's and that's huge. huge. And I think that we, we hit it again in chapter six and chapter eight. The, this concept of anxiety um, that we we need to be calling on Jesus when we are fearful. Mm -hmm. um, but Jesus is there with Peter, but the the winds and the waves are still He's still there. there. Jesus is yeah. with them. Uh, but the, and he didn't automatically eliminate the wind. No, uh, and that's what this concept. This oh, you have little faith. If you go all the way back to chapter six, verse thirty, he's talking uh, about. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And then he finishes up in verse thirty-three. Mm -hmm. Um, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's what, about trust. It, it, yeah. It's keeping your eyes, as Nick was saying, on Jesus and focus on Jesus. Well, there's plenty of passages in the New Testament that talk about fixing your eyes on yeah. Jesus. Yeah. You know, Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The idea that, you know, if we, if we want to be where Jesus is, we have to focus on Jesus because he's the leader. So my, my lessons to our audience from this would be, if you're in a situation where you're terrified, they were. If you're in a situation where you're fearful. If you're in a situation where you're beginning to sink. If you're in a situation of doubt, turn to looking to Jesus and he will pick you up and you will truly see him being the son of God and you have that blessing there. And I, you know, for all of us, we need to to turn to him in those difficult times and a lot of people are in difficult times right now i mean yeah. our, our our normalcy that we normally have you know all that's gone there's people going through difficult times there are always is people going through difficult times but the lesson is still the same look to jesus to save you and to pull you out of those storms and he'll calm them we just gotta look to him so well, what's the significance in verse 33 that the disciples worshiped him hmm. Well, it, it's the word we normally use from worship, right? The proskuneo word, which is to bow down or to kiss toward. And that idea, I, I don't know what you're asking for significant-wise, but they do acknowledge him now as someone greater. It's not just, oh, wow, you're special. It's now you're an object worthy of or a being worthy of worship. Is this, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. I no, I was saying, is this the first time the disciples worship Jesus in this way? Um, I don't. Or is there know. another incident? I can't think of off the top of my head another incident where Matthew twenty-eight. He's worshiping. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Say, but early the first on, first time here, in the book, in the story, I that I think he's, there's one other. Time. Is there one other one before this? Yeah. Or? Because if you go back to the temptations of Christ. Um, the, Satan says, if you bow down and worship me, mm-hmm. and Jesus comes back and says, uh, we only worship God. Right. Well, I, I mean, think there's a, one well, other time. Yeah, you I make mean, a logical conclusion there. If you only worship God, Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped. Either he's sinning or he's God. Yeah. That's a huge, yeah. I mean. Which goes back to verse 27, the, the I am, and then yeah, truly you are the son of God. Uh, I yeah. think Matthew is, is ramping up that. It is. It's this incremental Faith of the disciples, incremental testimony concerning Jesus, all of that. It just, it's build, it builds, it builds. I think it is. But yeah, I think you might be right here on it being the first yeah. one we have. And I haven't never looked into that they've much. actually recognized, and that's why it's going to go, when we go into chapter 15 and chapter 16, or especially chapter 16, when they ask, when Jesus mm-hmm. asks them, who do men say that I am? They give them all these answers. And then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? You, you do have, uh, and i got to look at the terms, so you do have occasions where people bow down before him. Sure, yeah. right. And right. It, sometimes it's well, the same word. Well, I'm talking about the disciples. Yeah, the disciples, disciples themselves, the people that are following them. Yeah. The other people, like we have, you know, uh, I think it was the centurion uh, bowed down before him. There was another yeah. man. Yeah, just, there's a synagogue just recently, official and all that. Uh, another miracle that we read of where, uh, someone knelt down. I can't think of what what it is or where it is. Um, that knelt down before him, um, and with this idea that you know they recognized his power and who he was. Um, but this is the first time I think we see yeah. the idea. Well, of, in reverent awe, right? Proclaiming his lordship as the Son of God is a act of worship. Yeah. And Jesus is worthy of worship. Absolutely. Right. And, and when Jesus saves us from the storm, is when our reaction needs to be one of worship. Because, yeah, uh, I mean, when we are in moments of fear or anxiety, uh, do we wait until we're sinking like Peter to yeah. call out? And then once we are pulled up out of the water, what is our reaction? Do we go about our normal business or do we bow down and worship? Can you imagine that conversation between Peter and Jesus after this? Yeah, what just <laughs> happened? <laughs> Just, just yeah, right. I mean, I don't know how much he explains after that, but yeah, it would I mean, have been amazing. There's not much explanation, but I mean, yeah, we see, we see, definitely see. You know, as soon as the wind ceases, these these disciples are like, man. Well, this when you recognize, for, you know, when you experience the greatness and salvation of Jesus, you have to worship Him following that, and that's what they did. Well, let's keep going here. Then, verse 34. When they had crossed over, so now they finally get to the other side of the sea. They came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. So now he goes to the other side of the lake, and a lot of people recognize him. I mean, Jesus is recognizable now. He's been spending all this time up in the northern, northern region of Palestine around Galilee. Miracle after miracle, we have the miracle of the, the demoniac. We have the miracles of healing the whole bunch of different people. And now you have a bunch of people recognizing him, and the word spreads. And what did the people do? They brought him their sick, and they had such faith that they said, let's let us touch the fringe of your garment. Yeah. And those people that touched it were cured. Now, in typical Matthew fashion, this is kind of just one of those big healing sections yeah. where it just kind of is left there for us. We don't have a lot of details with it. But I love the idea of as many 
as touched it were cured. Jesus has enough power and blessing for all. This is just like the the woman who touched the fringe yep. of Jesus' garment. And they, I mean, don't you think that's interesting that it's not people saying, um, you know, Jesus touched me. It's them going to him saying, oh, if I just touch the fringe of his him. garment, I can be healed. If they, I could just experience a little bit of Jesus. It's like they knew about that experience with that woman. And they said, you know what, that's what we need to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I, I, I didn't look. It'd be something that we can look for and, yeah. and discuss on Wednesday night. Um, but with the, the woman who was, was cured, um, that comment made well is the same word right. as save. And mm-hmm. so it would be interesting mm-hmm. um, to see if that, that is the case here. Cured there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, and as many as touched it were saved. Uh, it would yeah. be interesting to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to shift gears briefly and, and look back again at the contrast to uh, Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples' reaction was, um, what kind of man is this? Mm-hmm. But then we immediately get the story of the fact that the demons recognize Jesus as the right. Son of God. And here we see that the disciples recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after, we get another um, a group of people who recognize Jesus. Yeah. But this time, it, it's men that recognize him. So we, right. we're, 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 again, ratcheting up yeah, yeah. Uh, on who Jesus on it, yeah. is. And it all shows him, it's pointing toward, you know, even that statement with the centurion on the cross, that truly you are the Son of yeah. God, it's pointing us toward that kind of situation there. But I love that you have people, we don't know the levels of their faith, where they're at in their belief, but they knew enough about Jesus that if I come to him and he lets me touch his coat, I'm going to be healed, and he had enough power that he did it. Just in case you thought that his blessings were just for the disciples, (laughs) here you have him curing the multitudes. There's enough blessings from Jesus for the multitudes even today to find cures for all that that ails them. Yeah, to go back to feeding 5,000, there's enough for everyone to eat, to their fill, and there's plenty left over. Everyone can be satisfied with Jesus. Well, we'll stop there tonight, and we'll get into a a weighty discussion next week in chapter 15, but... So much um, practical application for us. Um, I recommend you read back over this and see how this speaks to you and applies to you because this is so powerful, the faith of Peter and the reaction of the disciples and what Jesus did here in the end of Matthew chapter 14. you guys have anything else you want to add as we close tonight? Well, I thank you for tuning in and participating in this study. Please, um, if you don't know how to get into the Zoom class, message one of us and we'll get you the login information. Try to stay connected the best way you can. Even though things are different, there's a lot of good going on. I don't want us to just sit around with a woe is me kind of attitude because we're engaging in a Bible study here. People are fellowshipping even if it's virtually. I mean, every day in the office I'm seeing a stack of cards that people are writing, the members. Um, I mean, people are getting their needs met, and the Word of God is still being spread even through uh, a different time right now. But again, thanks for tuning in. Have a good evening.